All right, if you would please stand. The Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 30 on page 932. On the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, uh, the tribune unbound Paul and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth, Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they have killed him. 
And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, please send your Holy Spirit upon us. Uh, Father, there are so many things going on in our lives, so many distractions. Please give us ears to hear your word, to believe it, Father, to obey it, and to rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's a long reading, I know, but I I wanted you to sort of get the full thrust of what we're getting in this chapter. And what we're actually getting in chapter 23 of the book of Acts is life. Uh, It's a very dramatic life. Lots of dramatic life going on in chapter 23 of the book of Acts. But it's really just a series of things that seem to be happening. Uh, They're not necessarily obviously connected. They all seem to revolve around around this one man, Paul. Uh, He is actually the focus of the last few chapters of the book of Acts. And here, Paul's very much at the center as life seems to be whirling around him. Have you ever felt like life is whirling around you? Well, that's the way Paul must have felt as he lives through the events described here in Acts 23 and right through the end of the book of Acts. What's really behind these whirling events is something called providence. Um, the events that we experience in life, which often feel like they're whirling meaninglessly around us, randomly, as Christians, we believe they all serve a purpose. We don't always know exactly what the purpose is, but our life is filled with providence. One of the blessings of being a Presbyterian is the Westminster Confession of Faith, and chapter 5 in the Westminster Confession of Faith has to do with providence. Section 1 of chapter 5 says, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible knowledge, 
and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. In other words, God reigns. Why use two words when you can use 30 words? Uh, You get the idea, God really does reign. He really does reign. And the divines in the Westminster Confession are trying to make it plain what's wrapped up in that conviction that God reigns providentially over everything. So section one describes that all-inclusive sense in which God reigns over everything. And then section seven, the last section in chapter five says, as the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, so after a most special manner it taketh care of his church and disposeth all things to the good thereof. Uh, Our conviction is that God reigns over everything. Our further conviction is that he particularly reigns over us. And the Bible promises us that everything works together for good for those who know and love the Lord. We, We are here today on the basis of that great gospel promise in the words of Paul. In the book of Romans, uh, he describes that great conviction that God providentially cares. And Acts chapter 23, in all this whirling stuff, is a chapter that focuses in a special way on providence. Though it's not here given as a word, it's not used in the passage, it displays providence. It's an example of providence, how God uses absolutely everything to accomplish his perfect purposes, and he always has his special care upon his church. And so Acts chapter 23 is a great pillar, a great statement, a great demonstration of that confidence that we have. Now with providence generally as a background, uh, I want to draw to your attention Uh, a word and a concept that is very important in Acts chapter 23 and throughout all of Acts. It's important in the New Testament. We read a passage from 1 Peter a moment ago that has to do with this. It's uh, it's a promise actually that runs right through the entire Bible. It's it's a a concept and a word called citizenship. Uh, I've actually named this morning's sermon, Paul the Roman Citizen. Because if you read Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 22 down through uh, the verse uh, 30, and then you read verse uh, chapter 23, in the background of this providential awareness of God's work is this idea of being a citizen. Uh, over and over again in this passage, uh, Paul makes reference to his citizenship. If you look at uh, chapter 22, verse 22, for instance, it says, up to this word they listened to him, then they raised their voices and said, away with this fellow. They're getting angrier and angrier. Then if you look down to verse 26, it says, when the centurion uh, heard this, when when Paul was speaking, uh, he said, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. In verse 25, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Down in verse 27, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Uh, Over and over again, including verse 29, Paul makes reference to his being a Roman citizen. And those talking about Paul make reference to his being a Roman citizen. Citizenship 
Involvement in this crazy world is one of the dimensions of providence. And it certainly stands out in the book of Acts here in chapter 23. The, the role of the world and the categories of the world and this idea of citizenship stands out. Paul makes reference to it. He asserts his claims as a citizen. He, he talks about what the law actually says and he asserts his claims as a citizen of Rome. Uh, the Greek word is politeian, but the word that's actually translated citizen is actually Roman. I am a Roman. I'm a citizen of this providential organization, this providential entity. Paul asserting his rights. Paul saying, these are my rights as a, as a citizen. It's part of God's providence in Paul's life, this idea of citizenship. Well, let's think for a moment about citizenship. It's an interesting thing to conclude the book of Acts with all this reference to worldly things, worldly structures, worldly organizations, and the very idea of citizenship. What an unlikely place to end the book of Acts. We'll see it over and over again as Paul interacts with these worldly authorities. Now bear in mind chapter 23 is it's, it's part of this biographical section of Paul. It's really a narrative. It's just describing what's happening. It's, it's a story telling us what is happening. Uh, we've had Paul's autobiography earlier in this section where he gives his own explanation, his own interpretation of life. But here in chapter 23, it's someone else describing what Paul went through. So it moves from autobiography to biography as Paul's providential experience is unpacked and described uh, sometimes in great detail. We find out, for instance, that Paul had a sister. Who knew Paul had a sister? Paul had a sister. Not only did he have a sister, he had a nephew. Who knew Paul had a nephew? Paul had a nephew. He was there in Jerusalem. And his nephew is actually part of this crazy whirling story. The nephew hears about these crazy people who are intent on killing Paul in their anger. They want to kill Paul. The nephew hears about it. The, the nephew goes and tells. Tells Paul and then Paul tells him to go tell the tribune. And he goes and he, he makes his way up the chain in this very human institution. And he explains to the tribune what's happened. The Tribune treats him very kindly in a kind of a fatherly way. You can sort of picture this young man, very agitated, very upset, very confused. He's there because his uncle had told him to come there. And the pictures of, of this Tribune sort of saying, now, now, come and tell me what's going on. Explain to me all this whirling activity. And so that's what happens. The young man goes and explains what is happening. Um, Paul makes reference over and over again to the situation he's in and, and how he's being treated unfairly. Uh, he's engaging with the council, the Sanhedrin, the Roman council, the, the, the Jewish council that's allowed to exist under Roman law. And Paul, himself a Jew, is engaging the Jewish structure, make, asserting his rights, explaining himself. Uh, the Ananias, the evil high priest. By the way, Ananias was a scoundrel. Ananias was an absolute scoundrel. After the fall of Rome, Ananias was killed. He was assassinated not by the Romans, but by the Jews. So unpopular, so poorly regarded, so corrupt was Ananias, he wound up being killed 
Well, that's the man who Paul is engaging with here providentially. Paul is asserting his rights. Paul is entering into this human structure, the place where you and I live. The way we live today in some ways is different, but in other ways isn't it very similar, including the whirling confusion. Uh, I was getting ready to come to church this morning. I, I had to look on the internet to see what is the latest guidance from whomever about masks. Uh, choose your uh, legal and political authority in this crazy world. One, one judge says this, one executive says that, the governor says this, the mayor says that. The, it's just so confusing, this whirling confusion of the world where we live. Well, it was exactly like that then. Dif- very different subjects, very different issues, but confusion, disorder. That's part of the world in which we live. It was true in Paul's day, it's true in our day. And that's, that's what you see Paul struggling with. That's what you see Paul engaging. And we will see that right through the rest of this book as Paul engages with the structures around him. You know, the, the Roman authorities who were in power in, in, in the first century uh, actually form a significant backdrop not only to the book of Acts, but to the whole New Testament. Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, wrote the gospel by his own name. And if you go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 1, there's a dramatic reference to Augustus Caesar. And that's just the first of reference after reference after reference to this, this uh, context in which Paul lived, this context in which the gospel came forth into the world. Uh, In chapter 3, verse 1 of Luke's gospel, there's a reference to Tiberius Caesar. There's a reference to Pilate, the famous Pilate, governor of Judea. Well, Pilate was just the first of many governors of Judea who are mentioned right through the New Testament. Pontius Pilate, Felix, Festus. There's a reference to King Agrippa in Acts 25. You get the picture that, that part of Paul's providential reality the way he experienced life included engaging all of these structures. Confusing, disordered, often corrupt. Paul, like you and me, had to live through all of that, this swirl of activity. And Paul, as he himself says, was a citizen. He was a citizen. He lived there. It was part of his reality. It was part of where he lived out his walk in Christ. Well, in the midst of all this swirling activity, in the midst of this reality for Paul, chapter 23, verse 11 stands out powerfully to me and I hope to you. Uh, They've sneaked him out of the... uh, the barracks. By the way, the barracks is the uh, famous Antonia Fortress. Uh, Antonia Fortress is where P- Peter was arrested. Peter was in custody in the Antonia Fortress as well. Uh, many, many years earlier in the book of Acts, we read about it. There, Peter was locked up in the Antonia Fortress. Do you remember the story? Uh, Peter is there, and there's an earthquake, and the doors miraculously open. And Peter leaves and he goes to the church and the church is so surprised they leave him knocking at the door. The girl who answers the door couldn't believe it. That God had miraculously, providentially opened the jail doors and there was Peter at the, at the, at the door of the, to meet with the church. 
Well, here's Paul now, many years later, in that same fortress. And guess what? Paul is not set free by a miraculous display of God's power. Paul stays in jail until he is forced to go to a, yet another Roman official, and then another Roman official, and another Roman official, until at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in Rome preparing to meet the ultimate Roman official. His, the ultimate manifestation of citizenship in his world. There is Paul in the very end of a book, the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, from um, Acts chapter 22 onwards, Paul is under arrest the entire rest of his life. Paul is under arrest. So, that is what makes verse 11 so powerful to me. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. Take courage, for you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul had a remarkable, unique ministry. What he was called to do was absolutely unique in the history of the church and the history of the world. Like all the apostles, Paul had something unique to do. But Paul learned an important lesson, and through Paul, you and I learn a lesson. Paul found hope and courage from the Lord who stood by him. That's a powerful picture. In the midst of all this swirling craziness, the Lord came and stood with him and said, take courage and he actually gives him courage to do the difficult mission the difficult ministry that he had to do to actually go to Rome and tradition actually teaches us that Paul went to Rome and was eventually beheaded he died for the sake of Christ he he truly became a witness which comes from the Greek word martyr which means a witness he was a martyr Paul bore witness at the cost of his own life. He learned the lesson to find the strength that comes from Jesus Christ, the Lord. And that's, that's also interesting. It stands out because in, in, in the way the world looks at it, it's the powers of the world that lord over us. It's the emperors and the kings and the governors and the rich people and the powerful people who reign over us. But Acts chapter 22, sorry, verse, chapter 23, verse 11, reminds us that despite what it may look like in the midst of the world in craziness, in spite of all that, that there's actually another king who reigns over you and me. And our citizenship is not primarily in this crazy, confused world. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God And our king, the one who ultimately reigns over you and me, is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And that was Paul's great conviction. It's what strengthens him throughout the book of Acts. I think it's significant that Luke, who records all of this in the book of Acts, opens the gospel with a reference to a Roman emperor and concludes the book of Acts with a reference to King Jesus. 
the ultimate king and the ultimate citizenship that matters to you and me is not our citizenship here in the United States of America. It's not even here in the great state of Texas. Our ultimate citizenship is in God's kingdom under his son. I just want to close with just a a thought about our citizenship. I mean, I'm I'm a very grateful American. Like Paul was quick to talk about being a Roman. I'm a very grateful American. I love our country. I'm very, very grateful for our country. But you know what? My primary citizenship is not the United States of America. In fact, Americans at our very best know that there is no king but God. Our citizenship ultimately is is in his kingdom, in the fulfillment of his purposes. And he ultimately is the authority who reigns over us and whom we obey, whom we seek to follow no matter what. That's what Paul did. That's what we're called to do as we live out in our day the mission of Christ. Uh, Paul's ultimate authority is Jesus. Our ultimate authority is Jesus. I cling to that. I find hope and confidence and great joy in that, and I hope you will too. You face the whirling things around you, all the things that come up, relatives who get suddenly sick, sudden loss, financial hardship, dueling pestilences and pandemics and interpretations thereof, all this craziness going on around us. In the midst of that, we trust the God who orders everything, who is moving towards the ultimate purpose, and we can be confident in that. We can, as Paul does, find courage. We can find courage in our sovereign king and in the kingdom of which we are a tiny part.